we could be creating a new religion. And the what you know, I talk a great deal about governments of the world, because the word world that we see often in the biblical text in the New Testament that Jesus' kingdom is not a part of is the constitutional orders and systems of government that men create. But are those governments the problem? No, those governments actually serve God in a roundabout sort of way because they create the city of Cain and the city of Nimrod and Babylon the Great And they create these things that will bring us to the attention that we are not really worshiping the God of spirit. We are worshiping the creation of God in our own imagination. We are worshiping the images that we create. And when we create these images in our minds, we often want to create them physically. We make statues. We we build big cathedrals, crystal cathedrals, stone cathedrals. We build big church buildings. Or I could even build a big network of people. But that's not really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's so simple. That's not building a big institution. Now, the product of our imagination, whether it be a stone idol or a golden idol or a flag or a, or a piece of paper with writings of men on it, and we will make it a god. We will say it is divinely inspired. And we will worship it. And we will bow down and serve it. That is idolatry. That is a violation of what we call the Ten Commandments, which are really just the Ten Guidelines. Yeah, the commandments are just guidelines. They're not, there's no penalty associated with them. In most cases, there's, there's no even reference to repercussions. Except if you, if you don't honor your father and your mother, you may not live long upon the land, but that is, that is simply telling you why you should. And the fact is, if you violate the Ten Commandments, the punishment is already built into the system. It is saying, if you step off the bridge, you're going to get wet. If you step off the path, you will end up in the briars. If you don't follow this way, you will become lost. And this is what we do. We don't follow the way. We don't go the way. Christ was called the way. And we have a term, Christian. And a Christian would be somebody following Christ. That by definition, that's what we could assume the word means, a follower of Christ. Now, anybody who follows Christ and calls himself a Christian isn't necessarily following Christ. He's just calling himself a Christian. He is saying, Lord, Lord, but he's not doing the will of the Father. So therefore, he's not really a Christian, yet by many people's definition of the word, he is a Christian because he goes to church. He does this. He belongs to this church, this religion, who professes Christ. They say they profess Christ, but do they profess Christ with their deeds? 
So a common question I have asked, and we mentioned it in uh, some of the last shows, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? This same battle continues throughout the world today. To follow the path of Christ, to follow the way of Christ, will lead you to becoming a free soul under God. It may be a bumpy trail at times, especially when you're way off of it and trying to get back onto that trail. But if you don't follow the ways of Christ, you will become the property of the state. And so a great deal of my writings are simply showing you that you are the property of the state, whether you're in Addis Ababa or Turkey or or Zimbabwe or England or Australia. You've all become properties of the state. And what you do is most often a privileged and a taxable activity. And you are now bound in the unrighteous family, bound in Babylon, and loving it. I, I listened again to Francis Chin, the pastor in Simi Valley, where I used to pick onions and radishes. And, uh, you know, he had an interesting sermon about lukewarm and loving it. And that's what churches today are most adapted to, helping you be lukewarm and loving it. Because in most of these churches, they do not preach the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is somewhere you go where you die. Even Chin, when he talks about it, you know, when you spend everlasting life in hell, he's worried about you going to hell. I'm worried about you not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness right now. Because it's at hand. It's within your reach. Spiritually. Metaphysically. Physically, it's within your reach. Now, it may be, you know, a little bit out of the reach of your fingertips right now because you've gone so far in the wrong direction, but turning around is half the journey. If you don't turn around, but you don't even know where to turn to because the preachers don't know. They have become wolves in sheep's clothing. They have become... Part of the dumb beasts themselves, the beasties. They covet their neighbor's goods. They desire a comfortable position as minister and being looked up to and being a little worshipped themselves. They put on a good humble face sometimes, sometimes not so humble a face. But they are actually leading you away from the kingdom of God and into the world to become a part of the world. And one of those things about being part of the world is because you pray to it. You look to it. You apply to it. Pray, apply. Same thing. You are not an independent soul seeking to serve God. You are a very dependent soul bowing down and worshiping the systems of the world in order to obtain your daily bread. How can you say the Our Father and obtain your daily bread from men who exercise authority one over the other? This is evidence 
that you have not followed the ways of Christ. I am not condemning you. I am rebuking so that you wake up, turn around, and head in the right direction. Because in that journey of heading in the right direction, you may be perfected in the spirit. Because it's a job. It's a test. It's a quest for the Holy Grail of righteousness, which you do not have. And you cannot have without the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And the Spirit of God will not dwell in you if you're out there coveting your neighbor's goods, not forgiving your neighbor's debt to you, saying, well, my neighbor owes me because I paid in. How can you receive the Holy Spirit with that attitude? James Madison said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Newsflash, men are not angels. If men were angels, no church would be necessary. There would be no ministers who would have to lay down their lives for you because your life would already be filled with the Holy Spirit. We would need no Abraham to plead for us as lots within Sodom and Gomorrah if we were angels ourselves. But we are in Sodom and Gomorrah. We are a part of the world. We are not just in the world. And we pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other instead of praying to God alone. We have no benefactor who does not exercise authority except a token church who occasionally will help us out or create a food kitchen to feed the drug addicts of the world and the lazy and the slothful so that they will feel good about handing $10 out the window to a man on the corner with a sign that says, Help me. I was in Bend yesterday, and I saw one of those people holding up the sign. And I had seen once before, and it was one of those Kodak moments, where I saw somebody holding out a bill and handing to the man that was on the corner. And I knew these men have a racket. They take turns. They have shifts. Uh, they actually go and get in nice cars and drive away. You know, they actually have a schedule. I've seen them sitting out there in the grass reading a book until their turn comes. And then they go over and they change. And then the other guy goes over and, and sits with his buddies under the shade in lawn chairs next to their motor home. Yeah, that's. but people give them 10 bucks or 5 bucks, and they feel good, and they provide a service to that person that is not much different than most pastors that want you to feel good about coming to church. Oh, we love to have you here. I love to have you at the foot of Christ. Not, I'm trying to gather you together in my church. I'm trying to get you to seek his church. You have to figure out where that is. <laughs> That's your job. I don't know where that is for you. You're not angels. And no government would be necessary, but there is a government necessary there is the government of the church, which is one form of government. 
that should be the benefactors who do not exercise authority, not for every drug addict on the corner or lazy, slothful individual or for every whore that has six children to get welfare. I use harsh words there because women do prostitute themselves. You know, it's like the old story of the rich man who asked the woman if he, she would marry him. And she said, oh, yes, I will marry you. Oh, tickle death, going to marry this millionaire. And he said, would you sleep with me for a million dollars? And she looked at him and thinking, well, he just asked me to marry him. And said, well, yes. <laughs> And then he says, would you sleep with me for 20 bucks? And she looked at him kind of puzzled, and she says, what kind of a girl do you think I am? And he says, we know what kind of a girl you are. I'm just haggling over the price. Because from the beginning, she was willing to marry him because of the fact that he was rich. And women prostitute themselves for lots of reasons. And men take advantage of that. And that is not conducive to walking in the Holy Spirit. It is simply not conducive to being led by the Spirit, to be led by the flesh and desires, etc. And men are no better. Maybe a little worse because we were given responsibilities that we have neglected. We are not the government of God. We are not taking care of our families. We are not taking care of one another. And we wonder why we're entangled in the elements and the bondage of the world. James Madison also said, Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. No man is safe in his opinion, his person, his faculties, or his possessions. We are to return every man to his family and to his possessions. We cannot do that of our own power. The man must repent, turn around, take responsibility for his family. How many people I think I've been told, well, I am, you know, I'm an ambassador to the kingdom of God. You know, and they're running off, disobeying every rule they can think of, including the rule about taking care of your family. They don't even begin to take care of their neighbor, although I have seen elements of charity in them. But it is a mixed bag. We we need to wash up. We need to get clean. We need to take care of our families. We need to take care of our neighbors, and we need to do it with free will offerings in faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. Otherwise, by circumstances, by the reality of the situation, you will not be free. And you will be property of the state, and not free souls under God. And the battle continues throughout the world today in you, in your heart, and in your mind. James Madison also said, the class of citizens who provide at once their own food, their own raiment, 
may be viewed as the most truly independent and happy. He is very much describing the citizens of the kingdom of God. He is very much describing the early Christians. At that time, he probably had a little bit better view of what the early Christians were than men today because he probably had read Edward Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire in which the early Christians were referred to as a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, which would have caught his attention. And the union and discipline of the Christians was both admired and feared. He had a, probably a better sense, I'm guessing. I don't really know what he read, but that was a very popular book back in the 1775. It's actually a five-volume set. And I can't hardly imagine that he didn't put a few things together, seeing Christianity referred to as a republic. Most people today don't even know what a republic is. Because they didn't go to a republic school, they went to a public school. And republic comes from the Latin libera res publica, meaning free from things public. And how can you be free from things public if you do not provide education for your children except by public means? By men who exercise authority one over the other. That's socialism. That's not providing your own food or raiment. Food, knowledge. Knowledge, food. Carry the metaphor out. Who is feeding your children? Not you. You're not home teaching your children. Maybe some of you are, but most are not. And so right in the midst of where you live, millions are being raised up as servants of Mordor for you Tolkien enthusiasts. You will have goblins and orcs all about you, raised up with the mind of Satan that believes that it's okay to take from your neighbor if you really want it for your benefit. Whole society, seven, what is it, seven billion people on the earth, and they're being lulled away. And the greatest mission field in the world is America. And many of the European countries and Australia and Canada and all these first world countries. Sweden. Norway. These successful countries. Intelligent countries. Prosperous countries. I use the word prosperous loosely because all these countries are in debt because they do not provide their own bread. They covet one another's goods. They've all become socialists from their schools to their health care to their welfare to their retirement and even their tombs. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We are in the end game. Each of us. People are worried about when the world will end. How old are you? <laughs> How long do you think you're going to live? God led Abraham out of Ur and out of Haran. 
and he led the Israelites out of Egypt. Are you following Christ? Will he lead you to liberty under God? Well, let's talk about that. When we return to Keys of the Kingdom, we'll talk about where are we being led? And what does it look like if we are really following Christ? James Madison one more time. James Madison said, in no instance have the churches been guardians of the liberty of the people. In no instance, he said. He was not fond of the churches of his day. He was a religious man. He believed in God. But he was not fond of churchanity as it was in that day. And in that day, Churchanity wasn't half bad. I mean, generally speaking, and there was certainly many churches that were a little crazy and not filled with Christ. I mean, there were churches burning people at the stake for being witches. There were churches, well, not really so much. There were churches burning people at the stake. Uh, some of the witches' trials was just uh, pandemonium on the part of the people, kind of a mass hysteria based on superstition and confusion in the hearts and minds of the people, which is clear evidence that Christ was not there. I mean, I've always said that when there was a burning at the stake of anyone, heretic or not, it was the one holding the match we could be sure was a heretic and a false preacher of religion. Whether the other individual was a heretic or not, I, I would have to judge that on a case-by-case -case basis. But if there was somebody there with a match or a torch setting them on fire, that's not Christ you see acting there. It's void of Christ. And anything else that would come out of them should be heavily suspect. <laughs> so, but they, you know, actually hung women because they preached the gospel of the kingdom of God was at hand. And they did it in the name of religion. But at that time, a lot of churches actually helped out the needy. That's where you went to. You didn't go to the government. You went to church if you had the need. Now, they were sometimes very selfish about it. They were very sectarian about it. They were going to help their people. They weren't just going to help anybody. Uh, they didn't always make the best judgment as to who to help. But at least they were helping. They were the social welfare of society back in those days. If if James Madison was alive today and saw what the churches were doing, he'd be a little impressed with the cars and the planes and all those other great signs and wonders and computers. But once he got to know the people, he would be disgusted. <laughs> Absolutely. 
absolutely, thoroughly disgusted. Because he would see that they were not providing their own food or their own raiment. And they were therefore not independent and happy. There was barely a class of citizen amongst them who could claim that today. So where where does that put us? What where does that take us? It takes us a long ways away from what they were talking about in early America. It certainly takes us a long ways away from what Christ was talking about. So anyway, I mentioned Abraham had been in Ur. Actually, before he came to Ur, he had been in what appears to be the Indus Valley. and was a part of a great migration that suddenly departed from there, and some went north, and some went east, and some went west, and ended up in Ur. And found a city buried in mud from the great flood many years before. And they dug it out. And they reestablished that city. And they eventually began to make their laws. And they became less dependent, independent, and more dependent on their system. And Abraham left that system, and he left Haran, where his father set up another system. Haran was named Haran because his brother was Haran, and his brother had died in Ur, and for some reason his father left Ur at that point. And if you read the text in the Hebrew and the Apocrypha texts around that, you get the impression that Haran didn't just die, he was put to death for violating one of these statutory rules and laws that were coming down from the top. That always happens in cities. And we're going to talk about cities. He leads uh, the... God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, which was a city. Who built the first city? It was Cain who built the first city. And Jesus led the people out of the power of Rome and into the kingdom of heaven so that they could say there is another king, one Jesus, and so therefore they could disregard the decrees of Caesar in certain matters. Now, Caesar was a temporal ruler, and he had a certain jurisdiction over some things, but his greatest jurisdiction over the person over the persona of the individual was obtained by offering benefits that he provided out of his own pocket. And Caesar Augustus, Caesar had a great deal of money to do this with because he had crushed the rebellion and confiscated all their property. And therefore he set up a system of welfare out of his own pocket to a great degree, but also out of things like sales tax. And then property tax. And if you signed up for the Corbin of Rome, like the Corbin of Herod, even an income tax. I mean, income tax, we know that was around way back in the days of Egypt. 20% of everything a man earned in a year, his labor for a year, 
had to go to the government. That was income tax. That was Joseph set that up in Egypt. When people went into the bondage of Egypt, that's what the bondage of Egypt was. And the truth is they had that way back in Babylon, and they had that in Haran, and they had that in Ur. But Abraham didn't have that. Abraham built altars of stone, knowing that you yourself is an altar of clay. And those altars of stone were there because men are not angels. And they do need government. And the church is one form of government that provides the benefits of the people for the people and by the people through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And if that is not what your church is doing, your church is not following this faith of Abraham. Because Abraham united nations together, people, different people, in different communities together, because he set up these altars of stone. The stone was what? A gathering of men. We explain this in the book, Thy Kingdom Comes. That a gathering of stone is a gathering of men. Yes, they set up factual physical altars at times. There, there was footstool altars where you would actually set up three or four stones and set a stone on top of those stones so that the stone was like a table. And when people came and gave their offering, they would lay it out on the stone and their ministers or priests would pick it up. They would choose their ministers individually because the offering was a free will offering. Go to the Old Testament. How many times did they talk about a free will offering? That was to take care of the people. They weren't killing doves to get rid of sin. The same word for doves is the word for a piece of your estate. You sinned. You made recompense. You chose, based upon God in your heart, what part of your estate you would freely give up, entirely give up, entirely burn up, not by fire, but by giving up entirely to a man you choose, who you believe is functioning according to the Spirit of God. The corruption of the church is by the negligence of the elders of the congregation. Because they do not choose wisely. They do not look wisely upon their ministers. They choose ministers who will tickle their ears. They have already rejected God. So they cannot tell an honorable servant of God when they see one. They think the men that make them feel good are ministers of God. Because they don't go to church to serve they go to church to be served. I thought, as I said, saw this guy holding his little sign up on the corner. What if I came and stood on that corner and held up a sign saying, let me help you. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> that's, that's our sign in the church. That should be our sign to actually help. It does not help the poor to give them when they are lazy. It helps the poor when they need a hand up, not a hand out. How many times, how many times do you hear that? Give them a hand up, not a hand out. 
But if we cannot get people to congregate together, to become the benefactors who don't exercise the authority, to become those who sacrifice upon altars of Christ, made of stones of Christ, the white stones of Christ, to take care of one another, how will they ever become independent and happy, as Madison refers to them? providing their own food in their families and in their congregation of families, those having share with those who do not have enough, but are actually all striving for the kingdom of God. This is the simplicity of the gospel of the kingdom. That is what you should be doing, is taking care of one another. You cannot do that and say, well, if I see somebody who needs help changing their tire... I will go and help them. We have a lady out here who delivers FedEx. She had two flat tires within 50 miles of each other. That's a big deal out here because 50 miles can leave you out in the middle of nowhere. She has a huge long route uh, because we live in thousands of square miles where there's almost nobody. So you can drive an hour and not see a soul. And with temperatures sometimes getting down to 22 below, you don't want to have two flat tires in a row because uh, unless you're carrying two spare tires, that could be a problem, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, how are we helping one another? We could do so much. But you you, you need to get to know one another. And everybody's going to come with their baggage. And you have to forgive that. And and in the opportunity of forgiving that, God will reveal to you your own baggage. And then you will be able to let that go because you were able to let go the burden of the baggage of someone else. You see, that's why you gather together. Not because it's going to be easier if you gather together, but because it's going to be hard. It's like going to the moon. <laughs> You're going to have to put up with one another. You know, because when you dance with others, you get your toes stepped on. When you dance alone, you seldom get your toes stepped on. And so the gathering together really tests the inclination of the heart. They gathered their families together in congregational groups of tens, units of ten, uniting those tens with hundreds and the hundreds with thousands. And they united them to charity and hope and love. That's what the kingdom looked like. That's what the early church was facilitating. The church is the called out, called out to be those white stones. And what were the early Christians really seeking? Is the kingdom of God appointed by Christ the only way to liberty under God? Is it the only way? What did Christ say? Christ said, I am the way. People say, well, that's why we believe in Christ, because he is the way. But you're not going his way. You're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You're going to men who exercise authority, one over the other, 
and making them your benefactors, and they take from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. Jesus says it was not to be that way with you, but he who is to be greatest amongst you is to be a servant. So unless your pastor has come to provide the social welfare of your society through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, he is not a minister of Christ. I don't care how nice he seems, how much he talks about Jesus, how much he reads from the Bible. I don't care about that. Anybody can do that. Satan could do that. Is he providing? This is how you judge. This is how you test the spirit of him. If he, if you go to him, and I knew somebody who uh, they dressed up, husband and wife. Actually, I don't, I don't even believe they were husband and wife. They were a team. They were reporters. For uh, uh, it's been a long time. I was trying to replace everybody in the story, but I, I knew part of the people that were in this story, and it's a true story. But anyway, they. She put a pillow underneath her dress that looked like she was pregnant, and they claimed to have been broken down in Bend, Oregon, near big town. It's about 100 miles from here. And uh, it was Christmas Eve, and they were going from motel to motel saying they didn't have any money, their car was broke down, and the, you know they needed a place to stay. And here's a guy and his supposed wife, and she's pregnant looking for a place at the end. And they did this as an experiment. And they went to motel after motel, and the motels wouldn't put them up, turn them away. And finally they went to a motel that we actually knew, the owners. Because we we used to go to town and stay overnight because it was such a long drive, and we, we didn't have any plumbing here, and so we could all check into a motel. We'd go and shop and shop, and then we'd check into a motel, and get the kids all cleaned up and they could actually see a TV a little bit and because uh, we didn't have any TV. And then the next morning we'd get up early and shop and then we'd drive all the way back with a, loaded with everything we do. we do this a couple times a year. And we ended up picking that motel. Out of all the motels in Ben, we ended up picking up that motel. I even had one of my children born in that motel. And uh, we were drawn towards those motel owners. And they were the only ones who provided a place for this couple. But they didn't provide a place at their motel because they were actually all filled up. They called another motel and found a room for them somewhere else and paid for that room out of their own pocket. And these are the people that we were drawn to. This is the motel that we were drawn to. Something spiritually drew us to those people out of all the motels. Because that's what you need to do is be able to walk in that spirit. And you will start to find those people and you will start to gather together with those people. And they will not be perfect. But it is in your imperfections that you may be perfected, in your weaknesses that you may find strength. And then the weaknesses of your congregation. The church and the congregation are two separate things. The church in general includes the congregation because the church specific would have nothing except for the free will offerings of the people. 
and your minister should not be driving a better car than you. He should not be living in a better mansion or house than you. He shouldn't be living in a mansion at all. His mansion is in the kingdom. And I don't care if he makes his money selling books or what have you. He should be as a servant. As one who does serve. But we have exchanged rituals and form for spiritual substance of justice and mercy. We belong to this church instead of belong to Christ and the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not of the dead, but of the living. It is here now. You know, Luke twenty thirty eight. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For all live unto him. Do you live unto him? Are you are your ministers servants of the people? Are they taking care of all the social welfare? I know guys who who because of circumstances they can be kind of uh, independent. They don't need to take the welfare of the world. They're they're in the world still, and they actually are very much of the world in some ways. But they're independent, and so they say, well, we don't take the benefits of the state. But are they providing a means by which everybody cannot have to eat at the table of the adversaries of Christ? And who are the adversaries of Christ? Those who exercise authority one over the other. Now, they have their place in the world. They are the unrighteous mammon. They they are trying to establish the kingdom of heaven by force, taking care of the needy by forcing the contributions of the people. But that makes the word of God to none effect because the word of God has to be alive and a spirit in you, and you have to be able to take care of one another independent of that force, dependent upon the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity. And so this is the evidence of your faith. Can you do that? Can you live by those means? How should the church be organized today? Just like it was back then. Most people don't understand how it was organized. And I'm going to I'm going to do a program later on this afternoon and we're going to go over someone who just is someone in another country who just cannot seem to grasp the kingdom. I'm going to go over a letter he wrote. And we'll go over it step by step. And we're going to tear it to shreds. <laughs> but we're going to do it in hopes that people will wake up. The church should be organized the way it was. The ministers, the disciples of Christ were men who were studying for the ministry. When they walked with Christ, they were in the seminary of Christ. They were learning to follow the ways of Christ. And they had to give up everything. And own all things in common, just like the Levites before them. So that they could receive the offerings of the people and then go house to house and rightly divide the bread. Because all those who got the baptism of Jesus Christ could no longer receive the benefits of the temple built by Herod. The treasury of the temple with all its social security money in it, all its 
national insurance money in it, all of its Corbin money in it in the Treasury, which was called Corbin. A Corbin was called the Treasury, translated Treasury at one point. There was another word for Treasury, Gastaphone. But the word Corbin was also translated Treasury, and that was the Social Security Treasury. It was to provide the benefits. But if you got the baptism of Jesus Christ, you were cast out of that system. So on Pentecost, day one, as soon as you got the baptism of Christ, you had to start tending to the widows and orphans with free will offerings and the perfect law of liberty only. You had to be organized. Otherwise, you're going to end up with widows dead in their homes. you got to know where they're at. You have to send deacons to their house with bread because they can't make it to church. And you had to have a loving ministry of servants to get that job done. And you were going to have to do it in the days to come during very, very hard times. Do you think you're going to have hard times? I heard yesterday 1.3 million people are going to lose their unemployment benefits. I don't have any unemployment benefits. None of our ministers have any unemployment benefits. Guaranteed. But we're all employed, isn't we? <laughs> we're employed in the faith of Jesus Christ, taking care of the needy of our society. And there's going to be some shifts here, and I'm going to show you what those are as time goes on. But we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom if you're to us live. Otherwise, you'll have to wait till the next show. And we'll talk more about the mark of the beasties in your spirit and in your mind. And the mark of God in your spirit. We'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net well welcome keys of the kingdom we're talking about this idea of the mark of the beast and the mark of the beast is a spiritual mark first it's a mark on your heart and upon your mind it is a mark that shows the character of satan satan left the presence of god like cain left the presence of god and created his own structure his own system after his own spirit he you know uh, creation replicates itself it it repeats itself over and over again if you look out in nature whether you're looking at an atomic structure of an atom or 
looking at a cell structure or an amoeba or anything. Everything repeats itself from the from the solar system to the smallest little particle. There is a repetition, a replication of itself. And Christ is the replication of God. He is the image of God. And his image was one who came to serve. So if Christ is in you, you come to serve too. But you will serve in a certain way. Christ did not just come and preach to his apostles only. He didn't just set up a network of faith, hope, and charity for his apostles only. Even Israel was not to be a priest to themselves, but to the whole world. To set an example for the whole world. And the apostles were to set an example for the whole world. They were not to govern one another, but to hold all things in common. To be a brotherhood, a family of men from different families. Loving their family of this fraternal brotherhood more than even their own families. But their whole mission was to love the sheep of Christ, those who would seek the kingdom of God, which was the hand, the ways of righteousness, which was based on faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. Not based on taking from your neighbor to provide you with a guaranteed benefit, but based on love for one another. That's simple. Look at the world you live in. What do you think the problem is? Is it NSA surveillance? Is it some Iranian ruler? Is it, uh, you know, uh, you know, Zionists or uh, bankers or, I mean, people are always pointing, oh, is this problem over here, this problem over there. I remember growing up in the South, it, there was a bigotry towards blacks. You go farther south, there was a bigotry towards Mexicans. And if you go up to North Dakota, there was a bigotry towards Indians because there wasn't any blacks or Mexicans to dislike, but there were Indians. So everybody's got to have somebody they dislike. You go to the Muslim countries and there's, there's going to be Shiites that dislike others and others that dislike Shiites, and they're both Muslims. You go to, what is it, the Lutherans or the Methodists, they have their different synods where, you know, these groups, this group is out and this group is in. I mean, the, the, the Roman Church and the daughters of the Roman Church, which is all Protestantism, they, they're at each other's throats in different parts of the world, like Northern Ireland. Ireland. Everybody's got to have somebody to hate. What, the kingdom of God, everybody has to have somebody to love. And this is why we gather together. Not because they love us, but because we love them. Christ gathered with us, not because we loved him. We crucified him. But because he loved us. We stand on the corner, not with a sign, help me. We stand on the corner and said, let me help you. Which is the mark of the beast? Which is the mark of God? Both are badges of servitude, but one is by choice and free will offering and the perfect law of liberty, and the other is by force, by control. By, and if you're 
if your churchanity is born out of that force and control, eventually you'll be hanging some poor woman because she's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Or you'll be burning some poor heretic at the stake. I mean, that's how far it goes, but it starts very much more subtly. You will find a reason not to gather together. Well, you know, they use, you know, somebody wrote me and asked if we use a lunar calendar. You know, all the stuff we write about the kingdom, all the revelations that we offer, showing you the meaning of words and what they were really doing and how they were taking care of one another. And they want to know what calendar we use. And so I wrote back and I said, some use the lunar calendar that are in our network. And some don't. They use a seventh-day calendar. They just count seven days. Every seven days, they don't depend on the lunar calendar to reset the month. But I said, all on the network must love one another, must live by faith, hope, and charity, because that's what Christ emphasized. And we are his church. I haven't heard from him. <laughs> I didn't hear back. <laughs> Evidently, it's got to be the lunar calendar. I don't know. I haven't heard from him, so I, I'm not judging him. I don't even know who he is. All he is is an email. But it's interesting that that's what he wanted to know. All the questions you could ask, that's the question they wanted to know. And maybe that's legitimate because they won't find much on his Holy Church website on which calendar to use because I don't know which calendar you should use. I know that you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I figure the Holy Spirit will tell you what day it is when the time comes. We would not need government if we were angels. We would not need calendars if we were walking according to the Holy Spirit. It's because men did not walk according to the Holy Spirit. I always remember the story of the of the preacher who got beat up by the Nazis in World War II, and so they couldn't hold church anymore in their church because the, the the brown church would come in and beat the tar out of them. And so they, but they still wanted to gather together once a week, and so they said, "Well, just go where the Spirit leads you." And every week, they would meet in a different place, and there would be men showing up in that place, led by the Holy Spirit. Because they couldn't tell anybody. They told everybody. The brown shirts would know and come and beat them up again. They said, let the spirit guide you. Well, there was one guy who never ever showed at the meeting, but he always asked, well, where is it? Where is it? He never came. He never ever figured out where it would be. And it was in a different place every week. And the assumption is is that he was in the informant amongst them. They knew there was an informant. But the Holy Spirit never told them where they were meeting. They were never drawn together. So where is the Holy Spirit drawing you? Is it drawing you just to go out and change a flat tire when you see some lady along the side of the road? You don't know whether she made it home or not because you don't have anybody checking. Now maybe the Holy Spirit is guiding you so well you know exactly where you should be all the time and do what you should be doing all the time. But that's not what Christ did. 
Christ appointed a church to his little flock. He appointed a kingdom to his little flock and told them what they were to do together in one accord. And they were extremely well organized from day one. And this is what the emperors feared. These people. Why? What did Abraham do? We'll talk about this letter in another show, but uh, the individual brings up a letter that uh, in his letter to me in response to what I'm basically preaching all the time. And he talks about Abraham's faith and that Abraham and Lot didn't even gather together, yet Abraham saved Lot. Abraham didn't save Lot when he was captured and taken off by this, these actually five kings that were going around and they'd massed this army. They'd learned the art of massing a large army and they were going and taking one city-state after another. And they took Sodom and Gomorrah and they took people off into captivity as, long, as well as a lot of wealth. Evidently, they didn't take the king. He was off somewhere else. I'm not sure where he was, but anyway, he shows up later. But... Uh, Abraham freed Lot, as well as all the other people who were taken captive. He freed them, not by himself, but by all his friends who came with him and fought with him along his side. They had no social compact that required them to do this. They chose to come and fight with Abraham. What did they have in common? Abraham had been setting up altars of stone, uniting the people through faith, hope, and charity, through a social welfare system based on free will offerings. Over the years, they built a unity of spirit in caring for one another. So that when there was a hue and cry, Army in the land, taking one city-state after another, devour, going about devouring who they will. They formed an army overnight and defeated this, this army that had come to and taken one city-state after another. Because they were the ones who were living by faith. They were living in tents. They were not living in civil structures bound together by social contract under an exercising authority who ruled over them. Abraham did not rule over them. He did not covet their stuff. He would not take one buckle of their stuff. He was a man there willing to set his neighbor free. And he tithed to Melchizedek, who was not a spiritual creature, but was an actual man, Melchizedek, the righteous king of peace. Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem is peace. Melchizedek, righteous king. He was a king, a righteous king. How was he righteous? Because he did not tax the people. He accepted free will offerings only. That's the righteous system. The forced offerings is the unrighteous system. The righteous system, the system that makes the word of God to none effect, 
operates by faith, hope, and charity. It's well organized from the bottom up, not from the top down. That is the difference. There's only two kinds of governments in the world. One is the church, the real church. Wherever that is, you figure it out. Who is taking care of the needy of society, of your society, to faith, hope, and charity? and the perfect law of liberty. And who wants to take care of your society by forcing their neighbor to contribute to your welfare? You have gone down this path to Babylon for a hundred years now, throughout the world, and the United States has led the way. But it has gone arm in arm with many other countries, from Scandinavian to European to... South American, everywhere, they're doing this. They're they're forcing their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. We have set the scene. Here, what should have been Israel in a new land, a place where there is double peace in heart and mind, living by faith, hope, and charity, as James Madison was saying. Independent souls who come together, loving one another. That's what we should have been then we would be a Christian nation. But we're not doing that. We're doing very much different than that. And we need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to start going back the other way with the intent to be servants in our Father's house. So who wants to be a disciple of Christ? Who wants to be that minister of Christ who gives up all to be servants to Christ? Francis Chin showed a little bit of that idea in his, because he, he walked away. But does he really understand that the kingdom of God is at hand? It's not for when you go and you, you have no idea where you're going when you die. Heaven, hell, what the heck is that? Very little description of what that looks like. A lot of people think they know what that looks like kingdom of heaven burns brightly today in your hearts and your minds or it doesn't the mark of God is faith the mark of God is a people who live by hope not by force the mark of God is people who care about their neighbor's life and show it by charity for one another According to the perfect law of liberty. That is the mark of God. Is that what you have written in your heart and your, your mind? Probably not perfectly. But in seeking that way, like Abraham did, it will change you. And you will be changed by that spirit as it dwelleth within you. And you will be made perfect in your weakness. Because you are willing to see your weakness. We have been weak. We have not been tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. We have not been forgiving and giving for one another. We have not been dwelling in a house of thanksgiving amongst a free people. But instead, we have sought to enslave our neighbor for our own feeling of security. And our pastors are ignorant. Who crowned these kings? Who made these rulers over us? Not men who came to serve us, 
but men who came to make us a survey, <laughs> like the old uh, Outer Limits or Twilight Zone. It, you know, the book to serve man. It's a cookbook. They have put us on the altar. They have sacrificed us. Abraham was stayed from that. I won't even go into what Abraham was really doing up there. Everybody has their imagery. I've seen the paintings. But God does not want us to be sacrificed on the altar. He wants us to choose to sacrifice our dies daily so that we may have life more abundant. So do you have the mark of the beast in you, in your spirit? Do you rally and rail against what I'm saying? Or are you saying, are you convicted and saying, yes, we should gather together and take care of one another and, and, and test the incarnation of our own souls in a network of faith, hope, and charity? Loving our neighbors as ourselves. Those who do not cultivate that love of God will feed the beast in their own hearts and minds in the world. You want to starve the beast? Starve him in your heart. Fast from your selfishness. Devour charity. In other words, devour the the heart of charity so that you give and give and give. Not, not to me, to each other. You have to gather together. On, this is the grassroots. You have to gather together on a local basis. People say, well, there isn't anybody near me. Good, that's wonderful, that's a blessing, because now you can cast your bread upon the waters. <laughs> Give them out to people farther away, but use your eyes and your senses to make sure that they are doing the will of the Father. And that they are taking care of one another. Shift coming. People who covet their neighbor's goods even legally, are making a place in their hearts for the spirit of the beast. They need to repent of that and and put in their heart the spirit of Christ, which is one of sacrifice. The kingdom of God is fulfilled with those who love God and their neighbor as themselves. They would rather go without than to be a part of a system that takes from their neighbor without his daily consent. Do you wait for the consent of your neighbor? Do you wait for the willing blessings of your neighbor? And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and if the house be worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it not, if it be not worry, worthy, let your peace return to you. That's Matthew 10, 7, 13. The word peace there. E-I-R-E-N-E, meaning a state of national tranquility. Do you live in a state of national tranquility or do you live in a state that devours one another, that takes a bite out of one another, that 
curses your children with debt. Because in every single nation, if your social welfare system is in debt and you apply for one benefit, you curse your children to have to pay for your desires. You say, well, I cannot live any other way. I understand that. Feel the pain. Feel the pain that comes from having followed the wrong way for decades, for a century. Feel that pain. Do not fast from it. Admit it. Cry. Weep. Turn around. Say, I want to return to my father's house. I want to return to the ways of my father. I want to be a child of God and be like that child, starting over anew. It's not necessarily cold turkey. It's turning around and heading back. And God will show you individually the way you must go. And you will have the individual temptations of of ruling over your neighbor. You will have the individual temptations in of of ruling your family as a tyrant instead of as Christ ruled the church by love, by example. You will be tempted to turn your brother into bread for you. You will be tempted just like Christ was tempted. And in your fasting from those temptations and your prayer to have the mark of God put in your mind and in your heart, you will be turned around. You will be given the means by which you can do the will of the Father and become a servant. Many years ago, I I took a tour across the country. I, I stepped out. I walked in a direction. Change coming. And now there's time for another change, to take another turn, to set the example for others that they may follow in the ways of Christ. And this will put burdens on some and lift burdens off of others. Shift coming. The mark of God must be put into your hearts and your minds, and then shift cometh. Don't worry about the mark of the beast, whether you have it or not. Worry about whether you have the mark of God or not. Are you going the ways of Abraham? Are you gathering your altars of stone? Are you casting your bread upon the waters? Are you taking care of one another? Are you seeking the lost sheep? Are you just whining about the fact that you seem to be a lost sheep? Do you care about others that are even more isolated than you? Or do you just care about the fact that you are isolated? I am beating you up. I am rebuking you because as many as I love, I also rebuke. How can you be at liberty unless you take care of one another through liberty? I'll start reading that letter that came from 
another country from somebody who was responding to an email that I sent out on the network. If you didn't get the email, you should have been on the network by now. <laughs> so go join the Living Network at thelivingnetwork.org. It'll take you to another page that where you can sign up to the local network. You can pick your personal contact minister. You can eventually form a congregation of record or join one that already exists and start networking. And in that process, learn to give to one another and bless one another so that ye may be blessed. Forgive one another so that ye may be forgiven. I write, who lived by faith? And that was the quote that he goes in his response is, there are many faiths, absolutely, faith in Satan, faith in God. But only those led by the gifts of the Spirit in their hearts and in their minds are believers. Yeah, but believers in which of the many faiths? <laughs> he says the Spirit, but of course he, he imagines that he's talking the Holy Spirit, and he may be. Let's see. There are many spirits, but we are to try the Spirit, whether they be of God, meaning God the Father, I hope, not whether they are Christians. Well, again, define Christians. He's hung up a little bit on words. Christian means a follower of Christ. They were called Christians still Antioch, but that doesn't mean that they were in apostasy. The real apostasy didn't come until Constantine, although there was apostasy almost immediately. But the fact that they were called Christians didn't make them an apostate. A Christian meant a follower of Christ. Now the question is, who is a real follower of Christ? To understand how believers, he says, with the Spirit gathered together, we need to start with Abraham. As an example, of course, in the book Thy Kingdom Comes, we start with Abraham. He set up his own kingdom. How did he do that? This is what he says. He set up his own kingdom. He was able to rescue Lot because of the resources of his own kingdom. How did his kingdom operate? How, what, what kind of government did he set up? Was he king? Was he ruler over other people? Did he exercise authority one over the other? We'll talk about that when we return. talking about Abraham and his supposed kingdom as this individual writes me and uh, you know I had said that basically that you needed to be taking care of one another through a system of charity uh, based on free will choice and free will offerings and instead of sending men to benefactors who exercise authority a common theme of the gospel of the gospel I preach which is the gospel of Jesus Christ I mean this is what he said we weren't to be like those other governments. We were to have this government that we call today the church. The church is defined as one form of government that operates by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. But he refers in his letter 
uh, to the network, at least in the country that he is in. Uh, he talks about uh, Abraham having a kingdom. Uh, this is kind of interesting because Abraham really d- did have a form of government, but you really wouldn't call it a kingdom. I mean, there was Melchizedek, who was the righteous king of peace, not the righteous king of the unrighteous king of people, like the kingdom of Lot. But anyway, uh, or the kingdom of Sodom and Gomorrah. He also says that Lot had set up his own kingdom too. Well, Lot didn't really set up a kingdom. He wasn't the king of Salem. He lived in a city as opposed to those who lived in tents. And he uh, was in that city, and that city was taken over by these other kings, and he was taken captive. So there are actually two times that Lot was saved. One was when he was taken, and in overnight, Abraham and all those who came with Abraham by free will choice, not because Abraham was king, they chose, these were friends, who chose to stand with Abraham, went with him, and conquered these kings who had come in and conquered these other people. And and Abraham didn't exercise authority. He said, you guys can take what you want. I'm not going to take a buckle. I'm not going to take anything. You guys can take the spoils of this war, but I'm not. And I'm going to set the people free, including Lot. This is what Abraham was doing. And Abraham was blessed by the righteous king of peace, who had been a king receiving tithes, free will offerings, different kind of government. This is the kind of government that Abraham was setting up. He was not his he could have been king in Haran. He could have been a ruler in Ur, but he chose not to rule over anybody, but to let men make the choice themselves. This is the difference. Now the second time Lot was saved. He was actually physically grabbed and taken out because he didn't have the sense to do it himself. But then once he was taken out, he fled, and his wife went back, and she was turned into whatever this means, pillar of salt. Does that mean like ashes? Well, we'll, I'll leave that to your imagination. She had faith in going back, and that was a mistake. He goes on to say, love... Lusting after the seeming dainties of the corrupted people, she went back. Lot was saved by Abraham, pleased to God for intercession. And because he was willing to sacrifice something that he had precious in order to protect the angels, that's really what it was. And they literally pulled him out. And it wasn't hunky-dory for him. He ended up living in a cave and all kinds of problems besought him. And he became a little bit of an alcoholic, evidently. Um, Did Lot and Abraham gather together? He says, he writes in his letter, I do not think so. We know their herdsmen fought. Each had their own kingdom. But no, actually, they were, they all left Haran and Lot left with them. But because there was disagreement, like in a congregation will happen, they they argued. Abraham wanted peace. He says, you can go to the left or you can go to the right. You can go to the east, you can go to the west. And whatever way you go, I will go the other. And he went the other. Now, who did Abraham really save? 
Now, he did go and save Lot with the help of all those other friends who went with him, friends he had helped set up altars with, altars of living stone. But he still held a fondness for Lot and wanted him saved and begged for his being saved. But Lot was not saved because he was a part of the government of Abraham. He was saved because as a matter of the red heifer, which now most of you will not understand. The red heifer has nothing to do with red and has nothing to do with heifer. So you'll have to figure out what that was. The same as killing the dove doesn't remove sin. It doesn't. It's not about killing poor little dogs. Okay. So anyway, he goes on Christian. He quotes the word Christian. He says people were uh, converted on the day of Pentecost were called the congregation. In the text, yes, they were called the congregation of God. They were not called the church because they were not the church. They were the congregation of God. The church was the called out ones. The called out ones are the ones that Jesus said, come, follow me. That's what his disciples That's the church. That's what the word church comes from, the word ecclesia, meaning the called out. All those who got the baptism of Jesus Christ were not the called out. They were the kicked out. Because anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ, according to John, was going to be cast out and were cast out, like the blind man who was healed of his eyes, were cast out because they professed Jesus as the what? The Messiah, the King, the Anointed. The church was those disciples who were appointed a kingdom, that little flock. And they were to provide the services of government under the conditions of Christ. Through faith, hope, and charity and not exercising authority. Different kind of minister. So he goes on and he says, not the church. The word church is a disputed origin and can, well, the word church is the English translation of the word ecclesia, which means called out. Yeah, church comes from the word uh, church A in the Old English. But that's just the English word. I mean, we we talk about Thanksgiving, and that's just translated from the Greek word Eucharist, Eucharista. So what? What does it mean? The church was the little flock appointed by Jesus Christ, a kingdom where they were to serve the people, not exercise authority one over the other, different kind of government. And he goes and he says, disputed origin and can lead people to misunderstand who are the people led by the Spirit of God. Well, that's true. And this guy is one of those guys who misunderstands. It was not used until after the great falling away. What does he mean? What wasn't used? The word church? No, he means the word Christian, I guess. Uh, There are many false spirits. History of the Christian church is not one of uh, church people all being led by God's Spirit. Well, that depends on which one you're listening. Because somebody calls themselves the church, it doesn't make them the church. Because somebody calls themselves a Christian, doesn't make them a Christian. And Christ is clear about those who do it the will of the Father. So what church is doing the will of the Father? What congregation is doing the will of the Father? He goes on to say, but of men who assume great names and persecuted the congregation of God believers, there may be people in these Christian churches who are in a position like that of Lot. But these churches are not the congregation of God. The wives or husbands of these people like Lot may not be being led by God's Spirit. Absolutely true. The question is, is he being led by God's Spirit? 
He says, a couple I knew as friends, oops, their names was, and he mentions the name, I won't mention it here. Their marriage broke down, and the man murdered his wife because she wanted to continue to fellowship in Sabbatarian churches. We attended in a town, which I will leave nameless here, back in the 70s. So somebody murdered, uh, the marriage broke down, and he murdered his wife because she wanted to be a Sabbatarian keeper. Obviously, this guy is not Christian. He's not following. It's very clear. But is there a, do you have to murder your wife before somebody will claim this other uh, false Christianity? No. You know, many people are in debt. Many people are struggling. Many people have to go to men who exercise authority. And those men, once you go to them, they can take your sons and daughters. They can put their your, their sons, your sons, before their chariots and put them in harm's way. They can make their instruments of war. And they can do this because you are bound to them by social compact. And they had the right to do it. And that was a rejection of God when you did that. So if you are not creating the system of Christ that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, if you are not doing that, their blood will be on your hands if they have no other way of taking care of the needy of their society except by going to those men who exercise authority one over them. If they have to go to Cain to survive, because you are neglecting your responsibility to, to be the altars of God, then their blood is on your hands, at least in part. You see, you cannot take care of the needy unless you organize, but you have to organize from the bottom up because you love one another. You can't become a member of even our congregations. We we actually... Avoid the word member. It's about bearing witness that these I congregate with. I'm not a member. I'm not incorporated into the church. I'm not incorporated into a congregation. All my rights are still my rights. I give daily as I choose. I never give up my right to make that choice. This is the perfect law of liberty. You're at liberty to come and go. This is what we call a free assembly, a congregation. Now, the church ministers are also free to come and go, but they must meet the qualifications of Christ, which are very specific. And I hardly see a minister doing it. And we'll go into that in another place another time. He goes on and talks about the word agape, which I mentioned in my little brief article sent out last night on the network, which you can go see. It has to do with this quest for fellowship, which you can find by looking for those terms on their Preparing You site. But anyway, agape. Yes, he says, I am familiar with the principle of agape love. Is he? Well, I don't know. He says, uh, I... He quotes me, if you do not strive daily to provide all the social welfare for those seeking the kingdom of God, then where is your agape? Uh, he says, my agape love is carried out in my kingdom. My wife, he names, our son, he names, 
my other relatives. My public or republic agape work is carried out in our conduct to and with our immediate neighbors and the people we serve in our small mechanical business five days a week. That's funny because I'm in the kingdom seven days a week. (laughs) But anyway, uh, again, he's not casting his bread upon the waters. He is casting his bread upon his immediate neighbors and caring for his immediate neighbors. Now, what happened if we took that that theory back to Acts, where there was a dearth in the land, and they gathered up funds, and they sent them a long ways away with men like Barnabas and Paul to help out the needy in another area because they were the kingdom of God, which is everywhere. They weren't just their little local congregation where they scratched each other's back and helped each other out. And I can guarantee you that all those people in his little network, are any of them going to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other? Do any of them have to go to those men because his little kingdom can't provide? You see, he's created a little kingdom which is his kingdom, not Christ's kingdom. That makes him feel good because I gave. You know, like the guy who gives the five bucks out the window to a homeless man who isn't really homeless standing on the corner with a sign because this is his hour shift. I don't know if they have hour or two-hour shifts or what. I may do a thorough investigation of those guys one of these days. On occasion, as we see need, he says, we directly help widows and children in broken marriages, etc. As we see need, as we stumble upon somebody with a flat tire, we help them out. Shifting furniture and effects and providing contact and support as their needs arise. You mean as you see their needs arise. We have also given loans, substantial aid, money, and relatives, which is unlikely to ever be repaid. Loaned. Loaned. Where's the charity? Actually, I have no nothing against people loaning. I think that you should be going to church rather than to banks. And we show you how to do that. And we should have our own His Church Credit Union that doesn't make a profit off of other people's needs. Because credit unions are not allowed to make a profit. And it should be run with the austerity of Christ's ministers. Not wasting and squandering funds on fancy buildings, but on on providing true needs for people who do need help from time to time. But that will take people who come together in righteousness and faith. How can I know who is seeking the kingdom of God, he says. I respond to all those who ask me in the hope of our faith. How do I know where the sheep are? I have to go out and find them. It's a full-time job. Into his system, widows will be neglected because he only helps those that he stumbles upon. There is no system to it. Now, if he were of angels, he would find them all. But men are not of angels. We are not angels. And so Christ gives us an institution called the church, 
which is dependent upon the elders picking true men of service who will have dusty feet as they travel around making sure that the widows and orphans are not neglected. This is why in the early church, and this is not the apostate church, this is right away, out of the box, day one, said to Peter, the daily ministration is being neglected. Widows and orphans are being neglected. This guy is not even taking care of the needy of their society. How many of their widows and orphans and needy of his little society are actually being taken care of by men who exercise authority so that those men can now take their sons and daughters and put them in harm's way? How many of them are making the word of God to none effect because they are dependent upon a system of Corbin that does that? By its very nature, it divides communities and squelches the hue and cry of society that no longer attends to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He has created a little realm of righteousness, and he does a little bit here and there, maybe a lot more than some, but still not a kingdom of God. Now, I don't question the fact that he may be charitable and that he may have some of the kingdom tracks. But he is wallowing in self-assurance that somehow or other he is doing because he has an aversion to words like church, which is just a word. It's a, I don't worship the word church. I know it's misused. When I first began this ministry, I wanted to call ourselves the ecclesia because the word church is so abused. I know men who don't want to call themselves Christians because the word is so abused amongst people calling themselves Christians who are not Christians. If you want to try the Spirit, are you doing with that first century church? Are you capable of sending aid to the other side of the country if there was a flood or a famine? Like we see right away in the early church was able to do that. If you had to have a whole city evacuate because there was a Fukushima in that city. Are you prepared to take those people in and absorb them in your living network all across the country, even in another country? Could you do that? Are you ready to do that? Shift coming. No, he's not ready to do that. He just has his little immediate neighborhood of people that he scratches the back of and they scratch his back and it makes him feel good. But he's not the kingdom of God. He's not doing what Christ did. He's not doing what the early church did. He's just a congregationalist. He's not a preacher of the kingdom. He preaches congregationalism alone. Now in the kingdom there are congregations freely assembled but they are a kingdom. They care about not only their neighbor as much as themselves, as much as themselves, so that their neighbor would never have to go to men and call themselves benefactors or sell their children into bondage. But they also care about their neighbors on the other side of the sea. That's the kingdom of God. That's the love of Christ. Christ didn't come just to save people in Judea or in Nazareth. He came to save the whole world. He came that the whole world, the whole constitutional order and system of government of men might be saved. The fellow goes on to say, uh, 
I strive to live loving God, loving our fellow man, women, child, as we love God. But are you keeping them from having to go and sell their children on the altars of Baal in order to survive, to get their unemployment, to get their welfare, to get their food stamps, to get their health care? Are you providing it all? Are you just giving a token agape so that you can feel righteous? Agape love can never be given by third parties, he says. Ridiculous. That's Christ is doing that all the time. As Christ showed in the parable of the talent, we each of us are to directly administer the talent God gives us personally, not by casting it on the waters 1,600 miles away in the hope that it may return. That's not true. What was he... What, what was he? What about the good and faithful servant? Good and faithful servant was given responsibility, and he abused that. He did not take care. He did not forgive. He and see, unless you are taking care of all the social welfare in your community, how can you spare the people selling their children on the altars of Baal? How can you spare people giving over their rights, their God endowed rights? in order to obtain benefits. Because this is the choice. The world will give you the benefits. They will take care of the needy of your society. But you must lay your children on that altar. You must curse your children with the debt of that altar. The blood of your children will pay back to that altar because you're in debt. It's an altar of debt. It's an altar of control. But in the altar of God, you take care of all the social welfare needs of the people through faith, hope, and charity. You cannot do that unless you gather together in congregations of congregations. And you must have a network of servants who take care of one another. If you only give to those who can give back to you, you do not have the Spirit of Christ. Christ talks about you know, helping the servant of the the Roman, not even going there. And the Roman knew that he could do that. And he didn't even have to go himself personally. He could send a third party and would heal him. And he knows this because I too am a man of authority. We have authority in the kingdom. We just do not exercise authority. I can call up one of our ministers and say, this needs to be done. And if it is on his heart, because we are both walking in the same spirit, it will be done. There is the evidence of the kingdom. Yes, we are individuals. We have to learn to stand alone and provide for our families and for our immediate neighbors. But we also need to learn to stand alone together. Can we learn to stand alone together as free souls under God in righteousness? Can we be a body of Christ in righteousness? Think about it. peace be upon your house and may God be with you.
have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.